Welcome to Frontline Nursing, a NurseMinder production that gives you an insider's look into the daily life of nursing from those who are currently working on the front lines. Whether you're considering nursing as a profession, you're a student already, or you're a nurse in transition looking for a new patient population, this show will give you some behind the scenes information to help you guide your career. So get those note apps and pens and papers ready because today is going to be a good one. Today on Frontline Nursing, we are joined with Kelsey Penner. She is a critical care nurse working in the ICU, eMERGE, and inpatient transport. Welcome to the show, Kelsey. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I am super excited to have you. It's been a long time since, been, since we have seen each other. Yeah, it's been years. Yeah, so for those who are listening, Kelsey and I first met in the military during our nursing careers where we worked a little bit together. And so we're gonna start out just by diving in and finding out what brought you to nursing, and then we'll talk a little bit more about your specialties. Sure, that sounds great. Uh, so to start out, I was always somebody who, uh, I think actually at one point in high school, I was, I, could, I was quoted to say, I will never be a nurse. That sounds like an awful career. Uh, you know, all you do is pass out pills and follow doctor's orders, and that just doesn't sound like something that I really want to do. Um, and it, like, I'm totally eating my words now, you know, 20 years later uh, in this career. Uh, so I actually started out, my first degree is uh, a kinesiology degree in athletic therapy. Um, and I went to the University of Manitoba, did a, a four-year degree there. And when I was in my last year, I really um, was starting to look at the job opportunities. There were not a lot in Winnipeg where I, where I live. Um, I might have to move. I was doing a lot of traveling with uh, semi-professional university-level sports teams. And I was finding that it just really wasn't something that I was, was super enjoying. Uh, and at the same time, I also happened to be in the Army Reserve. I joined a few years previous um, and was, was really enjoying that. Um, and when I was in my fourth year, right, it was very early in the year. Uh, Afghanistan had just kind of gotten started. I think this was around 2005. Um, and I actually had a dream one night that I was a nurse, that I was a, a critical care nurse, that I was deployed overseas. Um, and working as like part of a trauma team, you know, high energy environment. Uh, and I, I literally woke up the next morning and I was like, that's what I want to be when I grow up. And I know that sounds so corny. Um, so by the end, you know, that same day, I was obviously, I was online, was checking out my options, uh, may not have been fully online. That might, there might've been some phone calls at that point. <laughs> I think you know, it was more the technology at that time, but, um, Within a couple of days, I had gone to see an advisor in the program at U of M um, to kind of get some information about what credits I had, what credits I might need, how I could mold my final term of university. Uh, and she was incredibly helpful. She actually, um, by taking a couple of evening classes, I was able to mold my whole term so that I could start in the second year of the fourth year nursing program. Wow. Um, so that I was so grateful for her advice on that. Uh, and I also decided I was sick of canned soup and craft dinner. So <laughs> being a starving student, uh, I, I had done it for one degree already. And I thought, you know what? I, I love the military. This is what I want to do. Trauma nursing is what I want to do. Uh, so I enrolled in the ROTP program and, and let them um, provide some uh, salary for me while I went to school, plus pay for my education and books. And that was definitely uh, a decision that I, I have never, ever regretted. That's fascinating. I had no idea that you had a kinesiology degree. Did you get credit for the kinesiology degree? Like from the, from the military? Not, not no. particularly. Um, no, just from the University of Manitoba because you'd started three years. Oh yes. Sorry. I did. I did graduate with that degree in 2008. Yeah, I definitely finished it. I mean, I, I had done uh, pretty well all of the degree requirements and I was finishing things out. So definitely finished that degree. Um, it's come in handy, certainly in my early days as a nurse working more like in the clinic and stuff, as, as you know, the, the mm -hmm. clinic on the military base. Um, I remember one day I worked with the physiotherapist on the base uh, just to kind of get a couple days of physio famil. And after working with him, he, you know, for about 30 minutes, he was like, you could just work here with me. <laughs> you're, you're quite up to snuff on your orthopedic assessment and your treatment modalities and things like that. Because nurses don't often get a lot of that yes. unless they go into primary care. Like I think if you go into a primary care program, you would get a little bit more of that stuff. Uh, but when you're in your undergraduate program, you get your anatomy. You just kind of breeze by it. And yeah, yeah, okay. It's an ankle sprain. I don't know. I don't know what ligament it is. I know it's an ankle sprain. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so uh, yeah, so it was uh, it was a good opportunity for me for sure. 
Was that just, um, out of curiosity, was that with Donovan? It was, yeah. yeah shout out to Donovan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He still works there. I still, uh, yeah, prior to the gym closing as it currently is right now, I still see him there all the time. Oh, that's great. We'll have to let him know that he's been mentioned now in the podcast and get him to take a listen. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> that's awesome. You know, you mentioned that additional assessment piece and kinesiology. That's, you actually got to work on cadavers, as I understand it, in that degree. Is that right? Yes, I actually, uh, I got more uh, anatomy and physiology from my kinesiology degree than I did my nursing degree. I actually got nine credit hours of anatomy and six of physiology uh, and the University of Manitoba nursing program, you only get three credit hours of each. So I got way more A&P um, than my nursing colleagues did. So I was actually really grateful for that. It came in handy for sure, especially the physiology, particularly getting into you know, the, the med surge and even uh, throughout my, my ICU training and things like that too. We talked a little bit offline before we got started here about eMERGE nursing and the new trend, and it has actually, it's not really new, it's been going on for quite a while, that you can graduate and go straight into eMERGE. And, you know, what we kind of thought about that, certainly when I went into eMERGE, you had to have two years of floor experience before you went in. And for myself, I found that really helpful. What was your perspective? Did you get to go straight into eMERGE or were you on the floors as well? No, I started on the floors as well. Um, I, I, I know that two-year rule, I think they had just kind of started abandoning that right around the time that I was graduating or that I was selecting my senior practicum. Uh, and I did ask a couple of very experienced nurses in critical care, and I said, this is what I want to be when I grow up. Like, I, I'm 100% certain I want to be in eMERGE, want to be in the ICU. Um, how do I get there? You know, should I go to eMERGE for my practicum? And they had all said, no, where you want to go is a super high acuity ward where you get the patients from eMERGE, where you can learn your organizational skills, you can learn how to time manage, you can learn about all of those different things, chest tubes and dressings and, you know, um, polypharmacy and kind of all of these different things that happen on a ward, learn about different, you know, consult services and, um, how how residents fit into the picture, how med students fit into the picture at a major teaching hospital. Uh, so I went to a trauma acute care surgery ward in the same hospital uh, where they also have a four bed ICU step down. So our, our normal uh, ratio is six to one and then the step down is two to one. So patients coming directly out of the surgical ICU uh, where I know you've worked as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so pretty sick uh, and it was definitely a great opportunity I was so fortunate. I was blessed with a preceptor that had over 30 years bedside nursing experience and her and I are tight. She, we still send one other Christmas card every year. Like she's, she's amazing. She's not nursing anymore. She's retired, but um, yeah, I had just an awesome experience. And then because of the military, I got to actually stay on that same ward for a while um, because we do sort of a, after you graduate, um, they want you to go back, stay in the hospital for a while just to kind of hone those clinical skills. So I got to stay on that same ward for a while. Um, and then I, I went to a thoracic surgery and respiratory medicine floor for a little bit. Uh, and it wasn't until kind of the following year that I got down into the emergency room. Uh, and I was really grateful for all the other skills I had. I think it prepared me well for eMERGE. I've seen some people come for practicums in my merge and I've seen some nurses they they've done okay um, but I've seen a couple that either haven't been successful or they've really struggled because it's such a, a, a fast-paced high demand environment you really need to kind of hone some of those um, that nurse's intuition you know looking at a patient and and it you know sitting there at the triage desk and somebody walks in and I'm like I don't even know what your complaint is but I know that I need you in the chair in front of me right now because mm -hmm. you don't look right Sure enough, they're having a big STEMI, you know. Um, so definitely, uh, definitely that would be my advice for sure. Yeah, and I, that would be mine as well. When, people, when students ask me that, I always tell them, like, I, I wouldn't recommend that as a first step only because when you're a new nurse, you know, as they say, it takes about two years before you're comfortable in your role as a nurse. And in those two years, you're really building confidence in skills, confidence in assessments, confidence in documentation. And that's not the place to be doing it in eMERGE because you're gonna miss some things. Definitely. I do think that there's a lot of value in being on the floor and putting those pieces together. And you'd mentioned some things I hadn't considered like the, where the residents fit in and all those other allied health team members and how do you consult somebody. Trying to figure that out in an eMERGE situation is not ideal. 
what's an occupational therapist and what the heck do they do in the hospital? You know, that kind of thing, right? Like, yeah. I, I mean, I think a lot of nurses probably, um, I, I use OT as an example because they are so valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, social workers and some of the programs are able to access for our patients and things that you never even thought about. And the ward really, I think, put me in a, a great place to learn about all of those things. Well, even just the interpreter services you have available. Like yeah, when you're absolutely. And you're in a crisis, you don't need, you don't have time to be calling around and say, how do we deal with this? You kind of need to have some of those answers already. For sure. Yeah. So how long did you stay in Emerge? Well, I have been on and off uh, at emergency at HSC now uh, for 10 years. So I still work there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I love it. Um, I'm going to be working there now more again with my, uh, with my new position since leaving the regular force of the military very recently. Um, we've got quite a few shifts coming up, uh, lined up, and I'm, I'm super excited because there's some key team members there that have been there for that 10 years, you know, that since I've been there, and we, some of us even started as like junior nurses together and are now sort of the senior nurses on the floor. So, so when you say key team members, are these team members for your new position in the transport? So both actually, there's a, there's uh, a couple, there's one nurse in particular that I'm, that I'm thinking of uh, shout out to Karen, if you're listening, mm-hmm. uh, we basically started and emerged right around the same time, definitely within the same six months or so. And now we're, we're both working at stars as well. So mm-hmm. she was actually one of my references to get hired there. So she's, uh, she's awesome. She's an unbelievably smart and, and talented nurse for sure. That's amazing. Well, you come with an awful lot of experience as well. So let's try to tap into some of that because you went from Emerge, you had ICU, you've been overseas on deployments, you've done some training with air evacuation. So how does that all lead you where you are today is what I want to dive into. Sure. Well, I guess I'll just kind of follow the, the timeline a little bit, I guess. After finishing my uh, my hospital, my chunk of hospital time with the military, um, I went back to the clinic and I was working more of an administrative role um, and I hadn't been there for very long when um, I had asked my boss if I could go on the flight nursing course with the military uh, and you know put my name in thinking there was no chance I'd ever get a seat on it and sure enough I got loaded onto this course this junior lieutenant and it's usually like pretty competitive to get a seat on it um, And when I was a few days into the course, I had my interview with the career manager, which for those who aren't familiar with the military, it's kind of the the person for the regular force uh, military that determines what job you're going to do, where you're going to, where you're going to live, if you're going to be posted, you know, if you're going to move from, say, Winnipeg to Edmonton, like Tammy did, or, um, and so I I had a phone interview with her and she said, yeah, you know, we, we loaded you on this flight nursing course for a reason is we're actually going to post you. Um, to a different position in Winnipeg and we're going to post you to the Air Force headquarters as the AirVac coordinating officer which is a, a fairly senior program uh, uh, position yes. uh, and essentially that that person's role is to be a little bit of a, cl- a clinical case coordinator so basically coordinating uh, all the fixed wing medevac um, and the role includes some more rotary now but at the time it didn't as much but uh, all the fixed wing medevac within can or within sorry the world um, you know, for Canadian Armed Forces operations, uh, you're dealing with the special forces, you're dealing with, uh, you know, stuff going on up north, like up in Alert and um, down in the US and Mexico. And it was really an interesting position. Um, So many dynamic things, like I I mentioned Mexico there, Uh, I really had to use my critical thinking skills. I remember um, trying to coordinate a medevac of somebody out of Mexico that was having a big STEMI in the cath lab at the trauma hospital had a, a problem with the equipment and they couldn't actually take him in for, for uh, angio. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to communicate with this Spanish speaking nurse over the phone. I finally had to run over to the Americans that are posted in the, that are in the same building and find a guy whose name sounded, you know, pretty convincing that he likely spoke Spanish uh, and sure enough he did so he came to my office and was like a, a translator for me and sort of helped uh, coordinate all of that so it was a really great job I had a phenomenal boss um, absolutely phenomenal my boss was amazing my boss's boss was amazing the the couple of physician team that I work with they were all so great mm-hmm. um, so really kind of set me up in a in a really great place uh, and then through being in that job, I ended up getting the opportunity to um, take a deployment to Germany to launch tools. So that was the, the big hospital, U.S. Run 
hospital uh, where all the patients coming out of the operation zones in Iraq and Afghanistan were both, uh, the patients would go there. Um, where they would spend time in the ICU, sometimes go for further surgeries, and then we would prepare them to be brought back to Canada or the U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, in my case, from when I was there, mostly the U.S. at that time, Canada was just closing out its mission. I was actually the, the last permanent Canadian uh, liaison nurse there. Uh, so that was a, a really uh, incredible opportunity. Definitely the, the I mean, you know, every nurse joins the military for the deployments for the most part, uh, and that definitely was the highlight of my career uh, on the military side for sure. Mm -hmm. That's the one thing I say I miss all the time. Like when there's stuff going on in the world and I know people are going, I'm like, oh, I want to be there. You know, I think that's just that eMERGE ICU nurse mentality is you want to be in the fire. You want to go, you want to participate, you want to help out. Not that they don't be part of the team too. You know, even now seeing my, our colleagues who are um, going into the personal care homes in Ontario and Quebec, you know, to support um, some of these places that are overrun with COVID-19, um, that they're still so much on the front lines and they're, they're the pointy end going in for battle at, at this particular time. And it happens that we have a slightly different form of enemy right now. Um, but definitely uh, it's, it's a huge part of it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So you'd mentioned this position at the Air Division headquarters. I actually spent a year there as well. Fabulous, yeah. fabulous crew to work with. Definitely. Um, really great memories. And the, the tour to Germany came as a result of that position. Yeah, just uh, having, having been there, there was actually someone else from, the, from our Airbac flight in Trenton who was supposed to go. Uh, was lined up in the position and then ended up going for their medical and had a bun in the oven. So they <laughs> was not appropriate for uh, for deployment at that time. So uh, when I got the heads up, it was like, think about it, go talk to your husband. If you're going to go, we need the, all this paperwork done tomorrow because you have to go on training in the States and we have to get it all sent off uh, and it's due tomorrow. So uh, we didn't have any kids at the time. It was a pretty easy discussion with my spouse. <laughs> Talk to us about some of the training that you would need then for those jobs. So for those who are listening and are thinking, okay, Aerovac sounds really cool, and it's going to lead into your new position with the STARS and the transport of patients. What was some of the training that you took? Because obviously you can't just step into a job like this. No, for sure. Um, definitely a big part of it. The, at the time, the military flight nursing course was about 10 weeks long. Uh, aeromedical evacuation as the as the military calls it uh, and it was a combination of nurses and medics working in the fixed wing environment um, so transport nursing has has and we'll get more into that probably later in the interview but there's some really uh, dynamic uh, bits and pieces of transport nursing um, that are so unique and one of them is even things like the flight safety elements so learning about the aircraft that you're on learning you know if you're on a big um, large uh, fixed wing aircraft you need to know you know where's the fire extinguisher in the event of fire where's the oxygen additional oxygen masks if if something happens um, what if my patient goes into the my ambulatory patient goes into the washroom and they pass out how do I open the door from the outside to make sure that we can get the patient out of the washroom safely you know what's the role of the flight steward on the aircraft what's the role of the loadmaster on the aircraft you know um, so there's a lot of that element, um, little things like how do I take this oxygen tank and this regulator and put them together. Uh, and anybody that's a medic that's listening to this right now, or who has me a medic background is probably laughing their butt off to hear that because nurses are not super strong at that stuff as a general rule, because our oxygen comes out of the wall, usually in a fixed facility. Um, so all kind of all of all of those things, remembering to take your gloves that might have um, petroleum product of some kind, oil or gas off before you handle the oxygen tank, you know, um, all of those little bits and pieces. Lots so that was, that was a 10 week, uh, 10 week training course uh, where we learned to fly in a couple of different aircraft. Um, we also had a cargo compartment trainer that was a old Hercules aircraft that was set up in a small hangar where we spent a lot of time in there, loading patients, unloading patients, setting up stretcher stanchions, um, doing sort of all of those other bits and pieces. So that was, uh, was definitely a really rewarding course. I would, that one was definitely another big high, big career highlight for me, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, like so many things in the military, it's, it's kind of on the job training, like um, the number of things that a military nurse, the number of roles a military nurse can be in is so vast and diverse. And in fact, most nurses have had, uh, 
a list of many, many different roles on their resume by the time they complete their time with the military, whether they do a full career or they do a shortened career for me, I did about 12 years. Um, so, you know, it's a, a kind of a, a great opportunity to try some different jobs, try some different things. Um, I never did much in primary care or community health, whereas others have really focused on that because that's a, a definitely a specialty in and mm -hmm. of itself. Yeah. Um, some of our nurses have done things like gone to our, our permanent clinic in Germany and spent three years posted there where they're looking after spouses and children and um, doing all kinds of really um, diverse roles for sure. Yeah, I definitely tried to get that one. Yeah. <laughs> I tried to get the French course too, but I just couldn't yeah. get into those, yeah. those opportunities. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So from eMERGE into, now I know in the military, they combine eMERGE and ICU into critical care, but it sounds like you spent a good amount of time in eMERGE first and then you transition to the intensive care afterwards or? Yeah, I, uh, one of the a pretty good piece of advice that I got early in my military nursing career is, you know, if you specialize really quickly, you'll back yourself into a corner and you might close some doors, um, which for, for myself ended up being a great piece of advice. I know for, for other nurses in other circumstances, maybe depending on what's going on in the world at that time, it was maybe great for them to do that right away. But so I spent a few years as kind of a you know, a, a general duty nurse, uh, med surge kind of nurse doing med surge and emerge. Um, more surgery and eMERGE medicine was always my like okay I'll just get through this but it's not my jam but that's okay um, I treat lots of medical patients now in in my new role um, but uh, yeah and so probably after let me think I think I'd been a nurse for about five years when I decided it was it was time for the ICU um, I was very fortunate with the military that um, I had the opportunity to have my ICU education paid for as well. Now I know um, through most hospitals and regional health authorities, that's a, an option for a lot of people. Um, there's usually a payback, you know, payback of time involved. Um, so I was very fortunate with that. I actually got to go to Toronto to George Brown College. I spent four months in Toronto. I was living right downtown at, uh, at King and Young and I was three blocks north of me was St. Michael's Hospital where my clinical was and about six blocks south of me was the waterfront campus of George Brown College where all my classes were and my labs and stuff like that. And uh, so I really got to immerse myself uh, really deeply in it. And that was, uh, it was good timing as well because actually just before I went on the course, I, I uh, became pregnant with my son too. So um, I didn't have the distractions of wanting to go out on a Saturday night or anything like that either. And I just mostly wanted to sleep a lot and study and sleep and yeah. be in the hospital. And that was about it. Uh, and didn't have little kids needing my full attention all the time yet, like my my current life. Like you do now, yeah. Now yeah. that's an intense course. So I didn't know they moved to Toronto because I took it in Halifax at the yeah. Registered Nurse Professional Development Center. And it was a fabulous course then. So I'm sure it was fabulous in Toronto as well. And then you came back and worked in the ICU for a little bit. I did, yeah. I went, uh, I was first in St. Boniface Hospital uh, in oh. the uh, med surge ICU there for a little while. Uh, took a little bit of a break when I had my baby. Uh, so I had my son. Um, and then I went back to work. I didn't take a full year off for maternity leave. I, I only took about eight, nine months. Uh, and then I went back and I was in the surgical ICU at Health Sciences Center, which uh, was a great place to be because that's where it's a, it's a big trauma neuro center. So you get really all the sickest of the sick traumas and uh, all your neuro patients, people who had brain bleeds and brain surgeries and, you know, sustain these massive car accidents and um you know other traumas and so it's it's it was definitely a, an awesome ward um and uh, i really enjoyed my time there there's such a such a wonderful team for sure uh i worked with a kind of a senior nurse there as kind of my nurse mentor uh, and he's been nursing um forever and is the best hands down the best icu nurse in the world if i'm ever in the icu god forbid i want him to be my nurse he's just absolutely incredible so i learned uh, a lot of really great skills from that team now i can't remember do they have a medical icu as well and a surgical icu there is yeah there's a there's a large medical icu as well i know i spent time in both um i actually miss the health science center it's a fabulous fabulous i mean i spoiled i think i was spoiled that being my first placement as an icu nurse 
I then worked at the Grace Hospital, which was lovely as well, much smaller. But coming out to Edmonton, I worked in the ICUs here, nothing against them. They just don't have that same bright, open, yeah, it's just a different feel. Mm -hmm. I got sure. spoiled there. And the, the healthcare rates were so fabulous. They would come around and turn my patients every two hours. They would just come around oh, like fabulous, yeah. the entire yeah. floor. And I'm like, that didn't exist here. I'm like, whoa, wait. <laughs> Yeah, they're such a, a amazing team there for sure. And we're lucky the two ICUs or three ICUs because there's the IICU as well. Uh, but they're all in the new building uh, at the hospital. So technology there is is much better. There's more than like two plugs in a room where you're trying to look after an ICU patient. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so then you've got this ICU specialty. Did that come after the Arivac? It did, yeah. Uh, okay. So I started Arivac as, like, as a general duty nurse. So more... Um, uh, preparing to move non-critically ill patients. So patients that would be like not on a ventilator, um, not on vasopressor medications, or if I was doing that, uh, we would have an ICU nurse augmenting our team. So if I was part of the transport, there would be an ICU nurse there who was kind of a, a specialist, um, like a, a, we call them a mission specialist mm -hmm. and their job would be to really focus on those things. And then my job would be sort of all the other logistical bits and pieces of the mission, you know, making sure that we're uh, safely loading the patient onto the aircraft, getting them properly secured on the bed, you know, kind of all of those other bits and pieces that are all really, um, as I said, unique to the transport environment, remembering that the patient that is sedated um, still needs ear protection, for example, like sort of those little things that, uh, you often wouldn't think of, especially if you're in a, in a louder aircraft, definitely a factor in a rotary environment for sure. Mm -hmm. And there's so much to prepare. People just think that the patient gets loaded onto the helicopter or the plane and off they go, but there's so much prep that goes into getting them plane ready or air ready um, that I was always amazed. I recall in the ICU, the one thing that stood out to me was having to switch out the air for water in the intubation tube. Yeah, yeah, we we don't do as much of that anymore as kind of a, a practice that's gone by the wayside just because there have been some great studies that have been done as to like how much change in cuff pressure do you really get. So the newer practice now is um, to check your cuff pressure at altitude and then adjust your cuff pressure accordingly. Um, which, you know, which makes sense. The same with art lines, you know, we, you just level in zero your art line before you go, you level in zero your art line again when you're at altitude, you know what I mean? But for a long time, it was quite common to use water in the ET tube cuff, the trach cuff, um, sort of, sort of as you would with a Foley balloon. Yeah, yeah, interesting, and interesting to hear that it's advancing and changing as well. Totally. Well, and that's one of the greatest things about nursing is we don't just do things because the person who's been doing this for thirty years tells us to do it, but we're uh, a highly educated uh, career, just like anyone else. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm finishing up a master's program right now, and I'm in the same program as plenty of physicians, um, you know, we, we all um, have a practice that's driven by medical evidence and strong study design and things like that. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think, uh, I think that's hugely important. Yeah. So we talked about the Arivac course being one thing that you need for your new role here in the STARS Air mm -hmm. Ambulance. Is there any other training that you need to have? So, well, as far as, so STARS themselves, so I guess maybe I could, could talk a little bit about that. So um, my main, my main role now um, outside of the military. Uh, so in the beginning of March, I actually left the full-time military, released after 12 years, transferred to the reserve force um, because I had accepted a, a new position that I started training for back in December. Um, and so STARS stands for the Shock Trauma Air Rescue Society, which is the main uh, rotary medevac provider for the three prairie provinces, so Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba. Um, they have a total of six bases, three in Alberta, two in Saskatchewan, one in Manitoba. Um, and essentially they provide rotary um, critical care services. Uh, most of our patients have sustained either major traumas, um, we do kind of two types of calls. One's called a scene call and one's called an IFT or an interfacility transfer. Uh, a scene call is usually major traumas like car accidents is a big one. You know, uh, a 900 pound hay bale lands on you when you're farming. I went to that one uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, those those types of, of things, you're, we're really with patients when they're kind of on their, their worst day for sure. Uh, ATVs and snowmobiles uh, are a big source of our business too. 
Um, and then interfacility transfers for people who show up at a rural hospital and they're very, very sick and they need, they are too sick um, to hop in an ambulance and take a two hour ride from say Brandon as an example to Winnipeg. Uh, they need to be intubated in Brandon. They're on vasopressor medications. Maybe they're still unstable. Uh, maybe they need surgery that can only be offered in Winnipeg, something like neurosurgery, for example. Um, so we respond, uh, you know, in the fastest time, obviously using a BK-117 helicopter, which is the helicopter we fly currently in Winnipeg. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of my, my new job. Uh, the, the training for that is several months long. Um, the STARS run something called the STARS Academy, which uh, is actually available to people who are either a new hire at STARS or can actually be taken by um, somebody that doesn't actually work for STARS. You can, can pay tuition to come and attend the STARS Academy. Um, we had a couple of people there who worked fixed wing in other provinces, a um, couple people who worked in smaller communities, whether they were paramedics or nurses, people who were maybe interested in becoming an employee of STARS down the road, because it's definitely an asset to have already taken that program. Um, Mm-hmm. When when you go through the hiring process, obviously, if you're known, uh, if you're known to the organization, it might uh, increase your likelihood of of securing a position with them. Um, so it's really a great program. Obviously, the the outcomes and testing goals and things are a little bit different for the internal uh, people who are really we need to be you know right up to snuff on our our specific policies and procedures for our, our organization. Um, but uh, lots of sim learning, uh, weeks and weeks and weeks of online learning online modules and forum discussions and um, looking at the latest research and it's a it's a really good program for sure so for me it ran from the beginning of december um, until just recently well it's intense yeah for sure for sure and before you even did that did you have to have your acls and and those kind of things were there any training you had to have tech checked off before you can even apply for this? Yeah, so they, uh, the main courses they're looking for are ACLS uh, and um, ITLS is actually preferred to the TNCC course. It used to be TNCC, but mm-hmm. ITLS really uh, is more of a paramedic focused course, but certainly nurses are welcome to take it as well. Um, and it just gives you a little bit more background as far as scene size up. Um, and what they're actually looking for ideally is people who have uh, have not just taken those courses but have experience working in all of those areas and ideally would be an instructor in one or both of those courses. Uh, I personally am an instructor for ACLS and TNCC. Um, and uh, they'd like to, they, they definitely uh, like nurses that have had a background in both the eMERGE and the ICU mm-hmm. uh, because the transport nursing, what I do is neither. It's, it's neither and it's both. Um, I have ICU skills that I use. I have eMERGE nursing skills that I use and then transport nursing skills that I use. And, and those are things that I wouldn't do in either the eMERGE or the ICU. So they like you to kind of have a background in both. So definitely have taken a formal ICU course um, uh, or a, a formal um, specialty advanced emergency course, which I know are offered in some areas. We don't have a program like that in my health region, but I know in other cities, there's definitely advanced uh, emergency nursing programs as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are kind of the main the main things that they're looking for. Looking for people who definitely uh, have a desire to um, participate regularly in nursing education, like sort of always getting better um, we do education rounds every month where we do uh, an online learning module every month. We do a, a, a skills checklist every month of a skill that we maybe don't do that often, like uh, assisting with the insertion of transvenous pacing, for example, and then actually manage, mon- uh, managing the um, sort of the electronic device that controls the transvenous pacing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we, it's just, it's constant learning all the time. It's going to be constant learning until the day after I retire. For yeah, and even beyond, hopefully. And even beyond, totally. Yeah. Um, so in your role, do you have a physician that comes with you or are you the game? Like, are you the lead? So yeah, the team, uh, the main team essentially is a registered nurse and an advanced care paramedic. That's our basic team. Um, and then we can be augmented for certain calls with a physician. So just going back to the same example that I used, um, if we had a patient where we knew we were going there to insert a transcutaneous pacer, uh, our physician would either come down to the base or we would fly to the hospital quickly and pick them up if that's where they where it's easier. Maybe they live close to the hospital. Yeah. Um, and we would bring them with us as a, as a third. 
Um, that transport physician is always part of all of our calls um, from an online medical control perspective. So they, uh, they hear about it from dispatch, they hear, or from our link center in, in the other provinces. It's right, we, the logistics of how we're dispatched is a little different in Manitoba, but um, they're involved in the discussion. If it's an interfacility facility uh, transfer where we've been requested, we'll get on the phone and we have uh, ourselves are there, our docs on the line, the physician or nurse that's requested the transport with the patient is on the line, um, the dispatch center is on the line, we have a quick discussion, get a bit of a report, figure out what's required. So they're definitely there for us all the time. They're only a text away or a, a satellite patch away or um, you know, they're, they're definitely there with us in spirit, but often not all the time physically, for physically. sure. Yeah. Now I know you've only just began, began this job just recently. So talk to us about the first call you had, your thoughts, your feelings, your concerns, your excitement. I mean, there must've been a lot going on in that moment. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the first call I went to uh, was an interfacility transfer for a uh, lady that had uh, um, essentially had been sort of found unconscious. So she was a little bit of a, little bit of a mystery to, uh, from a medical perspective. Um, so it was just before COVID, not just before, but it was before COVID-19 started ramping up uh, and thank goodness, because otherwise we would have been PPE'd from, from <laughs> top to bottom. In her particular case, we actually couldn't rule out something like meningitis. So we did, we were actually wearing N95 masks uh, as well, just in case, because she did have a bit of a fever uh, when she, when the paramedics first attended to her. Um, but uh, you know, there's things in the transport environment that that really add to your cognitive load. We use the term cognitive load a lot. Mm -hmm. um, in the hospital, you're not dealing with with things like, man, my helmet is sure tight today, or um, you know, I I didn't do my chin strap up just right, and it's digging in a certain way, but I've got PPE on, and so I don't want to touch it because it's in my face, um, or I can't reach that, or you know, I have this in my vest, but my vest is under a gown, you know, is some of the challenges we're dealing with right now. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely just some, some added bits and pieces. Um, and, and probably one of the biggest ones is just the, the independent uh, decision-making for sure. Now, um, obviously most of our, most if not all of the decisions are always made in, in collaboration as a team, um, you know, for, for me to do a, an, particularly a large intervention without checking with my partner and discussing, you know, I think uh, just based on that blood pressure, I think we're going to start an norepi infusion at 0.1 mics per kilo per minute. Uh, I'm going to mix up a norepi now. Um, we're always chatting with one another as to, to what we're going to do. We do have a, a really well laid out set of clinical protocols to, um, that we use to help guide our care, obviously, and then always have our, our physician, as I said, available to us as well. So, yeah. Yeah. There was a time I was on the airplane and okay, so I wasn't even in a role, but I thought, I always thought I would be good in these stressful situations, which is why I wanted to know about your first day or your first um, case, because there was a little ding, ding, any medical people on board? And I looked around, nobody's putting their hand up. Um, and so I put my hand up and there's this fellow having potentially cardiac event, maybe gallbladder event. We can't really quite rule in, rule out anything because he had some symptoms, not all symptoms. And, you know, of course, I'm like, well, what am I going to do for you? I don't have oxygen. I don't have this. I don't have this. Yeah. So they I'm do have oxygen lead right now. Yeah. Yeah, they do have oxygen. But um, his wife was a retired nurse and she was just wanting second eyes on him. And I remember for the rest of that flight, that was Edmonton to Toronto. I just stared at the back of his head and made sure it stayed upright. And I did not enjoy that flight at all because I was worried he was going to have a heart attack. And I was starting to think about all those cognitive load things like the seats are not lined up. So you can't just lay him in the aisle and have two people on either side do compressions because the seats are not lined up. And I was starting to think about all these logistical pieces. How will I get him out of a seat? Where will I take him to? What will I do? You know? Well, you heard it here first. Nurse Minder podcast. If you are ever on an airplane, you're not sure if someone's having a heart attack, you can't go wrong by giving them 160 to 325 milligrams of ASA. <laughs> they probably have it and have them chew it. <laughs> they probably have it on the aircraft. And if not, somebody on the aircraft probably has it in their purse. Yeah. And that, that's your best bet. And yes, maybe some oxygen and definitely come up with a CPR plan and as you did. And uh, yeah, that's, 
that's really about it. I think some of the bigger international flights carry a, more of a medical kit where um, yeah. there's a few more things. Uh, I've, I received a patient in Emerge one time that had actually been intubated on board a flight from France uh, on route to San Francisco, I think, or, or wow. LA or something. Uh, and she'd been intubated somewhere over Greenland, actually. Uh, and then they landed in Winnipeg because that was the next major hospital wow. on their flight path. So That's they crazy. did have intubation supplies on that big aircraft and they obviously had a dock that yes. was capable of doing it. Yes. Well, I learned on the second flight that day because there was a seizure on the second plane. Oh, gosh. I Two know. Two in one day. I was starting to have heart palpitations. Did um, you ask for like an airline credit or anything? You know, guys, like I'm, I'm pretty much your employee now. I'm, I'm sure they did something. I don't recall what it was, but um, we were traveling. It was a military for volleyball. The whole oh, yeah, yeah. Right? So on the second flight, thankfully, there was a medic. Um, and he grabbed that guy out and hauled him to the back. And, of course, I want to start an IV. And I want to do all these things. And they got the doc on the phone. He's like, you can't start an IV. I'm like, but there's, a, there's stuff here. I can do that. He goes, you have nothing to give him. There's no reason to start an IV. You don't have any phenytoin. You don't have anything to treat a seizure. I'm like, damn, I don't know what to do in these cases. I want my team. <laughs> yeah. And even little things, right? Like the angle of, of starting an IV. Um, uh, one of the things in the in the aircraft for me, if I need to start one while in flight, uh, is just kind of getting myself in the right position. Um, and the other thing is remembering that if I'm if I'm starting an IV or, or sometimes an IO, which we might start at a scene call, always remembering that the best position for the IO for me is the left humeral head because oh. that's what's facing me. That's what's closest to me. And that right arm is really tucked far, far away. So kind of avoiding having anything on there, you know, whenever we can too. And those are just little things where you have to, you kind of have to do it the first time. Um, another one with the IO, you know, for any nurses that have worked with, with IOs, that's an interosseous line. That's the one that we put in with kind of the drill in an emergency situation. Um, if you've ever worked with the easy IO, um, you've got to put the stabilizer device on before you attach the extension set because if you don't do that you're not going to be able to get the stabilizer device on there and i know anyone who's worked with them before is giggling right now because they've <laughs> probably all done it and i did it on a call not that long ago myself and uh and my partner and we both said a couple of four four letter words, words. after we did it yeah. yeah yeah those are the things you're right you have to just do things the first time to realize yeah. okay no i want it in the left uh what was it the humorous Left no. humeral head, yeah. Humeral yeah. head, yes. <laughs> See, and you'll always do it that way now. You'll just go straight there. <laughs> totally, yeah. Oh, that's pretty amazing. Well, those are some pretty interesting stories. Um, I don't even know where we're all going to go today because there was so much to cover there. And I see it is, I don't know, how long have we been online? I'm not even sure. Is there anything that I haven't asked? Yeah, I know. It goes fast, right? Is there anything I haven't asked that you wanted to share with the listeners? Um, you know, I don't think so. I think, I think for me, um, I'm, you know, I, I still like to think after 10 years, I'm so early in my career. Um, there's so, there's so much more to be had. Um, and I, I guess the biggest thing is, is just encouraging nurses just to never stop learning, like not give up that, you know, going to nursing school and graduating nursing school, um, and I hope that this doesn't give anyone any anxiety to hear, but the day you graduate from nursing school, you essentially know nothing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you're so green and you're just brand new uh, and open your mind. Um, maybe you were shown how to do it the one way in the skills lab. And maybe you had a bit of an instructor in the skills lab who felt that that was the only way that this dressing, you know, that you should do your sterile technique or set up your field, or um, this is the only way to prime your IV line or, or little things like that. Um, but there's lots of different ways you're going to learn from everybody along the way that you encounter, whether they be a formal instructor, whether they be somebody at the bedside, um, whether it be a nurse who maybe um, you observe a behavior or a certain clinical practice that, that you don't agree with or that uh, perhaps is less than ideal. Because uh, let's be realistic. I mean, we're not, uh, we're not all angels and, and I, I certainly aren't one either. I've definitely picked up bad habits along the way. Um, maybe even not necessarily realizing it. Um, so just sort of never give up your desire for learning. Take as many, any course you have the opportunity to take, any conference you have the opportunity to take, um, any opportunity to be a member of a professional organization, such as NINA, the National Emergency Nurses Association, 
we were, uh, this is my little shameless plug. We were supposed to have mm. uh, Empowered 2020 conference going on um, basically this upcoming weekend, actually. Um, uh, I think pre-conference, the first day of the pre-conference was supposed to be today, but of course, because of COVID-19, we won't be doing that. So uh, Winnipeg next year in April of 2021, we'll be having a uh, Anita conference. So for sure, anybody who's interested in eMERGE nursing or is just starting out in eMERGE nursing, uh, there's always a student rate as well. Students are encouraged to come too. Um, definitely check those conferences out because the education you get there, plus the people that you network with and people that you might meet along the way, um, can really help you out in your career for sure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a good point. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been lovely kind of getting a little snippet of each of those areas, you know, the, the trauma unit starting out there right after school, getting your kind of feet there, the eMERGE, the ICU, the transport. Over to Germany, we traveled for a little bit. We came back to STARS. <laughs> you have had a full career already in 10 years. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll, I, I don't know. I've always kind of joked, like, maybe one day I'll, I'll need something to do when, you know, my body can't fly around in a helicopter anymore or something like that. Maybe I'll just go work in, like, L&D or, <laughs> like, the NICU or just try something, you know, completely new. I don't know. You know, I when I told know, my husband I was interviewing you, he's like, and I mentioned that you were with STARS, because when I was um, in the military doing critical care, he was always telling me, you should go do the airy back. I don't know. He must think that's sexy. Like, I don't know what it was about him and Aerie Vac. And just the other day when I told him, he's like, you should do Aerie Vac. <laughs> like, that's not where my heart is. My heart is teaching. Yeah. Like, I'm yeah, not going to do Aerie Vac. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like teaching for sure too. But, uh, you know, uh, one of, one of my next things that I, that I need to do for sure is I'd love to go, um, do a clinical group at the university, you know, where you did like as a clinical education facilitator, or you have your group of six or eight students and you get to go do bedside teaching in the hospital and uh, a couple days a week. That's like for sure on my professional uh, bucket list of something I want to try a couple of times for sure. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. No, I knew once I had those two calls in the same day on the plane, you know, of course I equate that to airy back. I'm like, nope, I want my team. I need my room. I need to know everyone's role. <laughs> And that's, that's totally okay. I mean, I've brought in, uh, I was on a, a pretty um, awful call with a poor outcome um, a few weeks ago. And, you know, we brought a patient into just a room of everybody, like everyone was there, you know, and yeah. we had been three people um, out in the bush in an area that was so remote, no medics or uh, no like ground medics, no fire, no nothing like that. Hey, and just arriving to this huge team. Um, and uh and afterwards one of the docs that that was working in emerge that day but also happens to be one of our transport physicians with stars he said like you guys did such a great job considering the resources you had like your three sets of hands and one very very sick um critically injured uh life-threatening injury you know mm -hmm. uh you do what you can right and we were dealing with the cold and snow and uh safety concerns with landing the helicopter and trying to make sure that we didn't become five patients uh, or six patients because of the patient plus our our crew of five um you know because we had to make sure we could land safely and didn't hit a tree with a tail rotor or anything like that you know and so those mm -hmm. those other extra elements of transport nursing for sure you know poor lighting sometimes you're too hot sometimes you're too cold um you know vibrations sometimes your helmet's pressure little pressure spot the wrong way um for the the two hour flight back and there's really much you can do about it you know um, but for definitely for anybody who's interested in getting into those fields, uh, as I said, it's, it's not, uh, it's definitely not transport nursing is probably not for the brand new nurse. Um, mm -hmm. you have to make a lot of decisions and you have to have strong clinical assessment skills. You have to be, uh, ready to recognize when the situation is going poorly, uh, and you need to reach out to your physician or you need to ask to have somebody else on the transport with you if, if you're consulting and haven't gone out yet, whether you're in fixed wing or rotary, um, you need to recognize your own limitations too. But uh, but definitely starting out in a high acuity eMERGE, get some ICU background, mm -hmm. um, lots of learning, ask lots of questions, and you can definitely get there. Yeah, it actually made me think of another question. It made me think, so you're talking about that last call, and I'm thinking about the environments that you guys are flying into. They're not highways where you can land. It's not always safe. And then I was thinking about search and rescue. Do you often work in tandem with search and rescue, like for those um, like mountainous kind of recoveries or, 
or is it you would go to that same mountainous range if there was a patient? Yeah, um, really our environment is so ever-changing. So we definitely work with uh, the STARS organization. We call them our allies. Our team of allies is so huge. So definitely search and rescue with the RCAF is, uh, is a part of our partners. Uh, I know we did have a mission that was done um, I think it was a couple years ago now in the summer where somebody had been out on a, a trail in the white shell um, and been fairly badly injured um, and the weather was was not uh, didn't facilitate getting the helicopter in I believe that was the scenario um, so actually the the Sartex actually jumped out of a Hercules aircraft that was able to get in uh, jumped in stayed with him stabilized him and actually helped keep him warm and stayed with him all night long fed him got him hydrated um, did all of those things essentially kept him alive until the next morning when a stars helicopter could uh, could get some access in order to to get him out of there so definitely mm -hmm. they're uh, they're one of the the many allies we work with for sure yeah and you guys must be um, carrying hump and a lot of gear as you're heading over to those scenes I would imagine yeah the the one I described in a more remote area we have some extra equipment that we can add to the helicopter if we know that we're going to a really remote location including a big backpack that holds an oxygen tank and a bunch of other things um for sure definitely a job where uh we have a gym at the hangar <laughs> and we need to go to it <laughs> and make sure that we keep ourselves fit and healthy uh it's a that's a big part of the job too um and then that also plays into your mental health as well because we work in a in a, a high acuity high stress environment um we have a great cism program um and we're so close. I mean, we're, we're only nurse, eight nurses and eight medics at my base, uh, plus our team of pilots. Um, and uh, we're so tight with one another. So we know, everybody knows when someone's been on a particular call, uh, mm -hmm. after that tough call, you know, I got a couple of texts over the next couple of days, just being like, hey, buddy, just checking in, you know, if you ever want to talk about it or, yeah. um, which is awesome. And I'm starting to see that happen more in my emerge now too, after really tough days. Um, um, you know, you'll have a couple of nights where you have um, multiple gunshot wound victims that have been brought in that have been incredibly sick and all had resuscitations and none of them have survived or maybe only one of them has survived. Uh, it's really important to, to have your network of people for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, and to know that you can you can just talk about it over a glass of wine or a coffee or whatever uh, and that's healthy like it it is okay to have kind of that normal reaction to an abnormal experience for sure because definitely in critical care we we see a lot of things that you wouldn't necessarily see in other areas of nursing that could be yeah. a little harder on you yeah no absolutely absolutely well thanks for sharing that and giving us such a good insight into the daily life of Kelsey Penner <laughs> yeah no worries I'd like to thank Kelsey for spending so much time with us today and really opening up about the various roles. Now, if you have a story you'd like to share, email me at info at and use the subject line Frontline Nursing. If you're looking for more information, you want to hear about the conversation we had about our kinesiology training, head on over to FrontlineNursingPodcast.com, join up in the members area and get the after the recording session and the video footage. <laughs>